you got a decision to make. I've illustrated a few decisions for you, you know, just to get our brains working. Got a decision to make. You could have a veggie burger or you could have a cheeseburger. Just saying. You could eat kale or you could eat cake. You could drive a car or you could drive a car. Now, you know, I'm conflicted. I'm pastoring a church in Guelph, so I understand that some of you really appreciate kale. I respect that. So I thought, you know, you could turn it all on its head. You could reverse it. You want to try it with me, Lukey? Let's try it. So he's, he's a ninja back there. You could eat a cheeseburger. Or you could eat a veggie burger. Did it work? Did you do it? Kind of. Do one more. You, you could eat cake or you could eat kale. Doesn't work, does it? It's like, dang it. I was thinking about the health nuts, you know, and I was thinking, eh. they would tell me it's hot. It's better for you to eat kale than just to eat cake. I know. My wife tells me all the time. But hopefully this illustration gives you a little peek into my heart. I'm uh, <clears throat> clearly expecting something better. I'm clearly planning on something better. You know why I'm planning on something better? Because Psalm 20 got to me. That's why. (laughs) Take a look. This is to the choir master, a Psalm of David. (laughs) May the Lord answer you in your day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Very famous verse. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we... We'll trust in the name of the Lord our God. Hear this. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Amen. I'll tell you why I'm planning on something better, because God is going to come through. That's why. Full stop. I'm planning on something better, because God's going to come through. How do I know God's going to come through? Look at verse 1. I'm going to read it, though, with some Hebrew inserted. So it may sound a little different than what you see on screen. The Lord will answer you in the day of trouble. And the name of the God of Jacob shall be your impregnable retreat. You see, there's a pretty significant linguistic difference happening here. In the English, it reads like, we hope this is going to happen. May the Lord, may the name, may he send, may he remember. Doesn't it sound like David is sending you best wishes? I hope God comes through. I hope the name of the Lord God is strong enough. I hope he remembers you in the day of trouble. And then you turn to the Hebrew, and it reads this way. 
the Lord will answer you in the day of trouble. And the name of the God of Jacob shall be your impregnable fortress. He shall cast you help from the holy like it's been shot out of a gun and will brace you from Zion. He will remember all your offerings that ascend before him and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. He will grant you what's in your heart and fill up more and more all your plans. It's better in the Hebrew. Amen? It's better in the Hebrew. You don't got to beg God to do a good thing because he's already doing it. It's your first big lesson from Psalm 20. You don't got to beg God to do a good thing because he's already doing it. So plan on something better. What's going to take for you to adopt that ethic this week? To live a life that plans on something better. I'm thinking, even as I talk to you, I'm thinking about 17 things that it would affect in my life in a deep way if I lived that way, if I was truly planning on something better because I believed that God was already up to it. What's the question that's ringing in your mind? But what about pain and suffering, Todd? What about my pain? What about my suffering? Wasn't that ringing in your mind even as we kind of turned this corner? It's ringing in mind as I wrote it. Got to admit it. I was thinking about planning on something better, and I thought about pain. I thought about suffering. I was thinking about that this morning. I was thinking about friends of mine who are suffering. I was thinking about pain that people in our church are enduring. It's one of the difficult things about being a pastor. It's one of the difficult things about being part of a church. We get close to one another. We learn to love one another. We learn to care for one another such that when pain strikes, when loss arrives, when tragedy happens, it hurts us. It cuts us to the heart. It's tougher to be close, right? Because when you're close, you're vulnerable. So I was thinking about pain and loss. I was thinking, well, it's all fine and good to plan on something better, but what do we say to someone When they're dying, what do we say to someone when they've lost somebody they love? What do we say to someone when their job's just not working out? What do we say to someone when their cherished relationship has just fallen apart? What about pain and suffering? I just want to say this morning that that is a legitimate response. Okay, that's a normal, legitimate response. And I'm not going to say any more than that. I'm not going to try and tear that response apart. I'm not going to try and you know, give us reasons why it's legitimate. I'm just going to say that I believe that that's a legitimate response. Here's the biblical one. Verse 5. May we shout with joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. But wait for it. Okay, watch it in the English. Hear it transliterated from the Hebrew. I'll get a little bit excited here, just warning you. We will shout for joy and spin around with glee over your Jesus and find our identity in the name of our God, 
the Lord will answer all of your questions. I mean, is that amazing? Or, I mean, is it just me? It's, uh, whoo. All right, let me, let me help you with the Hebrew. Verse 5. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. <clears throat> May we shout for joy over your salvation. We will shout for joy. Now, joy in the Hebrew is leganen. It literally means to spin around with glee. Okay, so next time you hear the word joy, spin around a little bit. Okay, that's what joy means in the Hebrew, leganen, to spin around like a top. Just so we're clear, because I'm going to push you a little bit, how fast does a top spin? Fast. All right? So we're not talking about like, I'm spinning in my heart, Todd. <laughs> not that kind of spinning. You know, it's spinning. Right, it's spinning. Spin, we will spin around with glee. Al Yeshua Techa. Over Yeshua Techa. Over your salvation. Except Yeshua is the name of Jesus. Don't tell me the Holy Ghost didn't know what he was doing when he caused King David to write this psalm this way. Don't tell me the Holy Ghost didn't know that the word for salvation in Hebrew would one day be the name of the Logos, of the Word of God made flesh, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Messiah, Hamashiach. Celebrate. We will spin around with joy over your Jesus I mean, that's too much to take. I can, I can hardly preach that. And <clears throat> set up our banners in the name of our God. You know what it means to set up your banner in the biblical times? It means to declare your identity. This is who I am. It's like you're branding yourself. Branding is such an overused term. It's such an overused discipline in our world. Everything's branded. Here we see God's friend David saying, my identity is in your name. He's sticking that banner in the ground. It's unmistakable. Everybody can see it. And the Lord will answer all your petitions. Now, this is wrong, right? Petition sounds like things you ask for. Right? When we petition somebody for something, we're asking for something. In the Hebrew, let me get it right. The Lord will answer Kol mishalotecha. Mishalotecha. To ask in Hebrew is lishal. If I were to say, I asked you how you're doing, I would say, Sha'alti, otchem, you. Anishma, what's happening? Sha'alti, lishol. Kol mishalotecha. All your questions. Isn't it nice to know that God's going to answer all your questions someday? Oh, celebrate. 
It's going to answer all your questions. Like, Lord, what was it with ragweed? <laughs> you know, did it feed the birds? I don't understand. Let's be careful to point out here that <clears throat> never will you get to put God on trial. Okay, this is a common theme in popular culture. Right? You see this in movies, you see this in stories. Like, someday I'm going to ask God. Like, God has to answer to you. God doesn't have to answer to you. But because he's kind, he'll answer your questions. Do your kids ever ask you stupid questions? Every time I get Sam and Zoe in the hot tub, it's Theology 101. Dad! <laughs> Zoe asked me this week. She's like, what language did Adam and Eve speak? I was like, I don't know. I don't know, right? But I answer her questions because I love her. She's not putting me on trial. She's not holding my feet to the fire. Okay, don't get it twisted, but someday God's going to answer all your questions. Jesus is the answer to all your questions. Even the seemingly impossible questions you have about pain, suffering, and loss. See, the story about Jesus, if it's true, and I acknowledge that you may be here this morning, and for you the story of Jesus is not yet settled to the level of conviction in your heart, and I respect that. So for your sake, I'll pose it as a if, if the story of Jesus is true. Then it's the answer to every question you'll ever have. Because the story of Jesus, I alluded to already in my prayer, is that God exists, he made everything that is, including you and me, the world, the cosmos, and everything in it. He made it to bring him glory. He made it, in our case, to be his friends. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, whom he'd placed in the Garden of Eden, the perfect setting, perfect life. They disobeyed his one clear command not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in that disobedience, in that rebellion against God, they fell into sin. And as a result of that sin, God cursed them punished them and banished them from the Garden of Eden. What they really lost in losing Eden was not Eden, but God's friendship. Because in the early parts of Genesis, we see that God was in the habit of coming into the garden in the cool of the day to walk with them. Can you imagine if you knew, you know that magic hour when you sit on your back deck, the sun is setting, and the world is quiet? Did you have that moment? You know that moment? Now imagine if God was in the habit of showing up at your house in the cool of the day. I imagine if Eden's fall had never happened that we would all still be living that way. You know that once every 3,000 years or so, the Father's going to show up for a late night chat. It looks in the early parts of Genesis that he was always singing. Most of the time when God speaks in the early parts of Genesis, the writers render it in verse. Which means that those who recorded the book of Genesis believed that there would have been a tradition that would have settled into the hearts of God's people over the centuries. That they believed God was a singer. Can you imagine if tonight was the one night in 3,000 years that God's coming to your house? He's going to sit down, he's going to hang out with you because you're his friend. And then as the stars come out, he's going to sing. Just visualize that. Picture God singing in your backyard. 
And then he'd go on his way. You'd probably sit there in the afterglow for what, like a week? That's what we lost when we lost Eden. We lost our friendship with God. God did not leave us that way. In the fullness of time, God the Father sent God the Son to become a man named Jesus who would live a perfect life of friendship with God, who would never trespass against his Father even once. In fact, he would perfectly fulfill his Father's will. This perfect man, this God-man, this good man, this Jesus Christ, friend of sinners and healer of the multitudes, would one way go to a cross to be crucified between two thieves. Not because the Roman punishment itself meant anything, but because as he hung there, God his Father placed on him, God the Son made flesh, the iniquity of us all. And he punished the Son instead of punishing you. Because Jesus was not just a man, because he's the God-man, he's big enough to take all that sin on himself, and he's big enough to bear all that punishment. And he dies. In fact, as he dies, he too loses his friendship with his father, which is why he screams out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that good man, that God-man, dies. They bury him in a tomb, and he lays there for three days. But on the third day, he rises again victorious. Having defeated in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. He appears to his friends, hangs out with them, eats meals, walks through walls. It's crazy. And then right in front of their eyes ascends to his father's right hand. Sits down in victory where he begins cheering for you, his friends place from which he'll come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom which will have no end, a kingdom in which he has made a place for you, his friends. As a result of Adam and Eve's sin, sin and consequence is real. And our fallen world proves it every single day. Sin and consequence are real. And so is Jesus' victory. Let's say somebody shout. I can't tell what time it is. Do I have 10 minutes left? Yeah. I'm blind in one eye. It's crazy. You see, that complete victory that Jesus accomplished is why our lives are characterized by joyful shouting and gleeful spinning around. I didn't pop my ACL out or anything. That's impressive. (laughs) Celebrate. And this is why we brand ourselves with Jesus. Let me address your common objections here. I'm just not really an exuberant person. I understand that I'm a little more exuberant than some. I understand that I have a bias in this area. 
The scripture clearly teaches that God's people will shout for joy and spin around with glee in his presence. So, I ask you this. Do you get excited about anything? This occurred to me four weeks ago, because I'm upset. I'm upset about things. So I'm trying to figure out a way to say this. Do you get excited about anything? Because I get this objection a lot. A lot. You don't understand. We're just not like that, Todd. You ever been to a sports game? Ever jump out of your seat when Austin Matthews scores a goal? You ever been to a really good concert? You ever went, woo, when Jay-Z and Justin Timberlake came out on stage? My wife lost her mind. She was like 17. Ah! It's crazy. It's like, woman, whew, thou art loosed. It was like, help me, Jesus. Woo. Help me, Lord. You ever had an awesome meal? You ever ate a meal so good that you're like, that's the best steak I ever had. Sorry, sir, I'm going to quiet down, though. I'm going to quiet down, though. Your wife ever came to church in a summer dress and you're like, oh, oh, Lord have, oh, Lord have mercy. I'm just asking the question, man. I'm here to help. Don't tell me you're not an excitable person. You know, I just don't feel it necessary to broadcast my Christianity. In the name of our God, I wish I brought a banner to church. I'll buy a big flag. I'll plant it in the side. I'll break the stage. In the name of our God. We'll set up our banner. I'm just not like that. I don't, feel, I don't have, feel the need to broadcast my allegiance to Jesus. Oh, no. You have any team swag at all? <laughs> Patriots, baby. Tom Brady, yeah. Right? I've seen you with your team swag. You have any club affiliations? I'm part of the World Wildlife Fund. I'll save the whales, baby. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, but you might be. You got any memberships? That's my Costco card. Yeah. That's elite, baby. That's elite. Hey, you got a political persuasion? Every time I say politics, everyone's bum goes tight. Like, oh, no. Is he a conservative? Is he a liberal? I know he doesn't like the NDP. Oh. Why does that bother you? Because you have a persuasion. Are there any causes you support? I'm not angry. I'm just passionate right now. So understand me. Don't be afraid of me. Right? <laughs> I throw my stand. Ooh. <sighs> right? Uh, I didn't hit the pulpit right there. I stroked it instead. Uh. <laughs> Believe it or not, it gets a little crazier still. I'm going to finish in a second. I'm trying to stay calm. Ooh. The only way... 
you're not excited about Jesus is if you haven't been saved from anything. Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Exodus 3.9. God's people cried out for release because they were suffering oppression. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, cried out King David after He committed adultery with Bathsheba and caused her husband to be put to death. He had need of forgiveness. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 13, 1, as David cries out to God for release from King Saul, who'd been persecuting him for the entirety of his life. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him because his only daughter, who was about 12 years of age, was dying. I did it. I hit the pulpit. Sorry, Natasha. I'll calm down. I care about you. I I really do. I believe, Lord. Help me overcome my unbelief. Mark 9, 24. To whom else shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life, John 6, 6, 8. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Here's the kicker. You know who gets to be God's friend? The people who need to be. That'll preach good right there. Verse 6, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him or he will answer her from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. This is awesome. Hear it in the Hebrew. Don't, 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 don't do it. Okay, don't get all offended about this over specific gender language. In manliness, he saves with the mighty power of his warrior's right arm. Literally in the Hebrew, be gvarut yasha yemino. Gever is the Hebrew word for man. In manliness, yasha saved his warrior's right hand. See, David knows that God saves because David needed to be saved and God saved him. Here's the point. Never allow yourself to move beyond an abject need of Jesus. And that is difficult. Worship team, I'm done. You can get ready to join me. You see, everybody else that you know is working really hard to trust everything else except Jesus. Verse 7, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. In David's age, a horse was the most powerful creature any of them would ever interact with. An army that had chariots was virtually invincible in David's day. So he's saying some put their trust in the obvious things that they can see. Not me, though. 
verse 7b, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Literally in the Hebrew, we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Remember him this week, friends. Remember him this week. Almost everybody you know is spending nearly every minute of their lives obsessing about comfort and security. Almost everybody you know is consistently and serially placing their hopes and dreams in the care of human-made systems and philosophies that will ultimately fail them. Verse 8a, they collapse and fall. Not me, though. 8b, but we rise and stand upright. That's your destiny, church. Your destiny is to stand, to rise and stand upright. I mean, you could be like everybody else. You could follow the crowd. You could do everything you can. Literally spend your life doing your best. And hoping for the best. Or you could trust Jesus and you could rise up. Looks to me like uh, you got a decision to make. 